Hi, everybody, and welcome to Peace Radicals. My name is Mark J. Victor. I am a criminal defense attorney with the law firm of uh, the Attorneys for Freedom law firm. And you probably have noticed if you are a regular listener or whether you watch it or listen to the Peace Radicals, Andy Markintel is not here. He's off today. He's got other things going on, lawyer-related things. So it's just going to be me, which means I can do the summary however I want to do the summary today. So uh, we generally start with a little summary, and uh, that's what I'm going to talk about right now before we get started. So first off, if you're just tuning in and you don't know anything about the Live and Let Live Global Peace Movement, I'm going to tell you about it right now. If you're tired of the R's and the D's and the constant fighting and tribalism and this and that, and you can actually step back from that and say, you know what, I can refrain from trying to impose my views on how other people ought to live. And you like the phrase live and let live, you are going to love the live and let live global peace movement. Because really, we're just pushing a concept that the phrase live and let live very accurately describes. And there's really two rules that we get from live and let live. The first one we call our legal principle. This is the one that's mandatory. We describe it with a simple phrase, just don't be an aggressor. If you think you can refrain from aggressing against other people or their property, you won't have any problem with rule number one. So I know what you're thinking. What the heck do you mean by aggression? Okay, well, aggression is the initiation of force against another person or their property. No, that's not self-defense, right? Self-defense is a justified response to another person's initiation of force. Also, fraud, don't do that. Don't be involved in stealing people's property through trickery. That is maybe the layperson's definition of what fraud is. And don't be involved in coercion, you know, overcoming somebody's will, getting them to do something by threatening force. And then the final category of aggression is what we lawyers like to say, don't do anything that puts another person at a substantial risk of harm. Said another way, don't do anything that puts other people in danger. If you can refrain from doing that, then you, generally speaking, are not aggressing. Now, this rule should apply to everybody. We are very proudly post-racial in the Live and Let Live movement. That means we don't care what color your skin is. We don't care what language you speak, where you're born, who you love, any of that stuff. Whether you are very religious, not religious, The rule applies to everybody equally. It even applies if you form a little group. That's right. You can't digress even if you're in a little group or a big group or if you're a corporation, even if you're the government. We want to hold everyone and every group to exactly the same standard. Nobody gets to aggress against another person. If you can refrain from doing that, you should be allowed to do anything else you want to do with your property. I like to say you should be the iron-fisted dictator of you. And what do I mean by you? Your body, your money, your property, and your time. You are the iron-fisted dictator of those things. Even if what you're doing is something that I personally think is immoral or unwise or unhealthy or unwarranted, Hey, I don't get to run your life. That's for you. We can make suggestions 
And that's exactly what rule number two is about. Rule number two is what we call our moral principle. This one's totally different than rule number one. Rule number one is mandatory. We don't care if you don't agree not to aggress. We're going to do our best to stop you from aggressing, right? We don't ask the thief, hey, did you agree not to steal stuff? Sorry, you don't get to aggress no matter whether you agree or not. But the second rule, the moral principle, we want to convince you. That's right. You don't have to agree with us here, but we're going to try to persuade you. And we describe the moral principle with the very short phrase, be a good human. Now, I know what you're thinking. Okay, this could mean all kinds of things, but I think you got a pretty good idea what I'm talking about. If you had a decent mom or dad or somebody who raised you or even a good influence in your life somewhere, you probably got a pretty good idea of what it means to be a good human. But in case you need some guidance, we have some aspirational values that we are promoting. Again, that you are free to ignore. But we want to convince you to follow these. Here's what they are. First, open-mindedness. How about stay open-minded on everything? Doesn't mean you got to be easy to have your mind changed or anything like that. But if somebody does change your mind on an issue, you should thank them. They've improved you, right? They did a service for you. So remain open-minded as to everything. There should be nothing off the table here. Also, tolerance, really important aspirational value. Guess what? Other people, they live differently maybe than you live. They look different. They maybe speak different languages. They eat different foods. They may celebrate different holidays. All of that stuff. It's okay. Let's celebrate the differences between and among people. If you don't like it, that's fine. At least tolerate it. Here's how we can get along in the world, right? And then also voluntary kindness towards other people. Not forced kindness. That isn't real kindness. Real charity, real kindness is the kind that you do when you don't have to do it, when nobody's forcing you to do it. That's what we mean by voluntary kindness, right? Be kind towards other people. Also, civility. We're going to disagree sometimes. It's okay. Do we have to call each other names and be angry and mean and nasty to each other? Can't we disagree in ways that are at least agreeable? Let's be civilized. Let's lead on this point. Also, building high levels of trust with other human beings. This is something I already know about you and your relationships. The ones that you have built and earned a high level of trust, those are your good relationships. And the ones where you blew it and you've created a low level of trust, those are bad relationships. I'm telling you things that are in your personal interest here. This is an easy argument for me to make. You should be very vigilant at always building high levels of trust with other human beings. We care about truth, whatever it is, even if it's different than what I currently believe. And facts, whatever they are, same if they're different than whatever we currently believe. And rational thought and rational inferences from those facts, those are the aspirational values that we are interested in in the Live and Let Live movement. Why do we care about any of this stuff? Well, we care about it because our overall goals with rule number two, be a good human, is I'm just going to lay it out, tell you why we're doing this. We want to optimize human happiness and well-being and minimize suffering. 
Some people say suffering of all living things. I'm one of those people. I think we should do our best to minimize the suffering of all living things, all things. That's what be a good human is about. But you could say, you know what, Mark? I don't care anything about that. Not interested and open-minded, not tolerant, don't care about being kind towards other people. I'm uncivilized. I don't care about the facts. I'm closed-minded. Fine. The only thing we can demand of you is that you don't be an aggressor. You're not part of the live and let live movement, but you should be left alone up until the point that you aggress against another human being. So if you agree with both of these rules, if you can check the box and say, you know what, Mark, I, I'm really in. I'm against aggression as to all issues, all subjects, all people, all groups, all governments, all corporations, all times. You check the box. You agree with rule number one. The only thing left to be a live and let liver is to agree with the suggestion to encourage people to be good humans. If you agree with that, go to the Live and Let Live website, liveandletlive.org. Check the box that says, yeah, Mark, I agree with those two rules. I'm a live and let liver. And add your name to the growing numbers of people around the world. We're in over 30 countries now. We have 10 different countries just in Africa. We've got countries throughout Europe and in New Zealand and Australia and in Canada and several different states throughout the United States. We are very serious at building a global peace movement. Come on, guys. We got to get together here and stop this crazy bickering and tribalism and fighting. You know why? Because we got serious issues coming up. Yeah, we do. We have synthetic biology coming up. They're bad guys working on bad things with bad ideas all over the planet right now. We got nukes all over the place. Have you thought about what life might be like if anybody could make a nuke who wanted one? That would be a very bad thing for us. Also, artificial intelligence is coming. Imagine we're not going to be the smartest creatures on Earth. How might that play out? We got to deal with these problems, and this is our community now. We are in a global community. We can't just worry about our own little cities and towns or even our countries. As we just found out from the last two years, threats can come from anywhere around the world. Okay, so if you're interested, join the movement. If there's a chapter near you, join it. If not, start it. There are all kinds of ways to help out with the Live and Let Live movement. I'm working on a book right now. Happy to send it to you to give you an overview, maybe a deep dive if you want to maybe help me critique it before we put it out there. In addition, you can donate money. The Live and Let Live Foundation is a 501c3 organization. We have big plans for conferences and festivals and an international holiday called Live and Let Live Day where we're going to celebrate life on the planet Earth. We're only here for a short time, and we really are brothers and sisters. Let's get along. Okay, so let me move to today's guest. I'm really excited to talk to her. Her name is Dr. Tracy Pearson. She goes by Dr. Pearson. She is both a lawyer and has her doctorate in education. Welcome to the show, Dr. Pearson. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. You've got such a long list of things that you are an expert on. I'm going to let you introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell people who you are, what you're about, what you've been up to, and uh, feel free to promote anything you want along the way. 
Sure. You know, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in a long list of things, um, but I practice law for almost two decades. Um, my primary, uh, I would say, specialty, if I had a specialty, would be in investigations. Uh, my uh, doctorate is in education, um, organizational change and leadership, but my dissertation was on implicit bias in workplace investigations. Um, I am a legal analyst, a political analyst, a cultural analyst for uh, television networks. I appear regularly each week on a uh, long crime trial network. You can always find me there, um, usually, usually on Tuesdays, um, although uh, there are additional days I also appear. And uh, I appear on News Nation, on different Fox channels, um, on uh, Cheddar News, and on a bunch of uh, radio stations as well. Wow. I feel so glad to have you on our show. I'm really honored. We've had a parade of really fantastic guests. And so uh, you heard my summary. You know, we got big ideas here at the Live and Let Live movement. And uh, we're also we have big concerns, right? There are lots of problems going on right now at this moment in time. You can pick the problem. I'm just curious what kinds of things, because you're very involved, you're on the news, you're talking about issues. What are the things on your mind that are the big issues right now that are what's worrying you? Oh, good Lord. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I got an entire list. I, we'd be here for a week. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very concerned about the Supreme Court and what they've been up to. Um, I'm concerned about the decisions that they've been making that are impacting women. Um, that are that are impacting what I have always understood and come to uh, appreciate about the United States, which is the separation of church and state um, and the impact. Uh, it seems that um, some thinking um, by by some religious movements uh, has infiltrated uh, various aspects of our government. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously COVID is a concern for me. Um, this war raging in, in the Ukraine is a concern for me and its impact on world food supplies. Um, you know, the, the fact that, that we uh, are in the process of trying to, to establish some accountability for the um, behavior of our former president um, and his involvement in January 6th. So all of those things are on my mind. Wow. Where to begin? I, you know, to me, and by the way, I'm very proud to be a lawyer and I'm glad to have you a fellow lawyer on the show. I know people make fun of lawyers. Um, and of course, anytime you're talking about a group, right, there are always going to be, um, bad actors and good actors. Uh, there's probably a, something close to a bell curve of distribution within any group, right? But I think that the legal profession is an honorable profession. I think without laws and especially the right laws, we can't have a civilized society. In fact, you know, you heard me talk about the legal principle. I think if we don't get our brains around aggression, what it is and why we should do away with it, we can't have a civilized society. So maybe just ask you that question. What do you think the state of the practice of law is in today's world? And then we'll talk about the Supreme Court, because I'm excited to talk about that, too. Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, I think that uh, the status of, of the practice of law, um, I'll tell you, I, I grew very disenchanted with it myself um, uh, and sort of could predict what the outcomes were going to be. It felt like a rehearsed play that, you know, I knew what I was going to do. I knew what the other side was going to do. Judge knew what they were going to do. We knew what the judge was going to do. And 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 the only people who didn't know were the clients. Um, 
and uh, or they did know because we told them and they didn't care. Um, yeah, that's so, something that's common to all areas of practice. Exactly. Unfortunately, yeah. Exactly. So I think that that you know I I became disenchanted with it. I am concerned with the Supreme Court, and I am concerned with um, the agendas uh, that have taken hold um, in in the decision making process up there. Um, when the Supreme Court is citing history and tradition. Um, and not recognizing that that history and tradition has a whole bunch of isms and ists attached to them um, and and seems to be incapable of, of sort of parsing that out and just sort of, you know, waves it away. Um, it's disturbing to me. Um, you know, in 1974, uh, I was born. Um, and it was also happens to be the year that that a law came into play where women did not need cosigners for credit cards. Uh, up until that point, they needed a, a husband or a family member, a male family member to sign their, their application for a credit card. Um, 1973, uh, Roe v. Wade was decided. So um, it, it, I have sort of looked at this, you know, uh, this backlash uh, that started a few years after Roe was decided as sort of a backlash on women uh, gaining um, some momentum in trying to seek uh, equity and parity with men in the workforce, primarily in the 70s. Um, but it is it is really um, just disheartening to hear some of the politicians out there talking about, um, you know, what my purpose is in life and what the purpose of other women are and and that we can't have autonomy over our bodies uh, and you know, to hear some of the things that might be coming down the line in reference to that. So for me, um, and, and it, it's centering itself in religion. Um, you know, um, I heard what you said about sort of the principles of the movement. And then as I sat there, I tried to keep an open mind. And simultaneously, I thought about how every single one of those terms you talked about has been um, sort of conscripted or, or uh, you know, seized on by various factions um, in a new way. Um, you know, tolerance. Oftentimes when I'm on Twitter, somebody will accuse me of being intolerant because I want to challenge their irrationality. Um, there are facts. You know, there, there is one set of facts. There are not alternative facts. And it's how those facts are applied that, that matter. Um, you know, I you think... said so much there. If I keep letting you talk, we're going to go no, for 10 okay. hours. You say so many, there are so many interesting, let me start with something that I, I think you and I are in complete agreement with, which is the separation of church and state. Look, I'm also a very strong supporter of people who are religious to practice their religion in any way they see fit up to the point where they are aggressing against other people, right? If you're aggressing against another person, I don't care if your religion is motivating that. Sorry, that's where we draw the line. But up until that point, um, you should be able to worship and believe anything you want to believe. That's perfectly fine. I don't think I, you don't disagree with that part of it, right? No, I absolutely don't. You are free to believe whatever you want. But keep it out of the government. And the reason we want to keep it out of the government is because once it goes into the government, there's only one reason to put it into the government. That is to force your views on other people. And um, I think it makes sense as a good starting point. And where we draw the line, I think you and I on religion is, is, is I think, the same place we should draw the line on everything, right? I mean, 
It seems to make sense to me, live your life however you like and to sort of broaden it from religion, right? Not only do you get to be religious and believe anything you want, but you should get to live your life in any way you choose so long as you don't aggress on another person to sort of broaden the same concept of separation of church and state. Does this resonate with you as well or no? Yes, it does. Yet at the same time, I see how it can be turned. Um, you know, uh, is is aggression? Um, you know, does it apply to to a zygote and a fetus? Because I think that the folks on the other side might say it does. So I would be aggressing if I if I went and chose to have an abortion. Yeah, you know, so I, that- I find this this particular issue. Maybe if you like, we could jump right into it. I find this probably the hardest of all issues, and I'll tell you why. Um, for several reasons. First off, I think this is an issue that can be very difficult to have a rational discussion about because people feel so emotional. They're so connected and invested in this issue. Secondly, I think there are different ways to talk about this issue. Like we could talk about what what are our personal opinions on this issue? How do you personally feel about it? How do I personally feel about it? Another completely unrelated discussion is the discussion about what does the Constitution say? What rights are in the Constitution? What did the Supreme Court do independent from what we want them to do? And then yet another way to discuss this issue, which is personally my favorite way to discuss this issue, is what should we do about this issue? How can we get past this? And so I don't generally put my personal opinions out there. I can tell you this, and, and you can maybe react to it if you like. In terms of the Constitution, You can get anywhere you want with the Constitution, right, to be fair about it. You could have gone to the Ninth Amendment and stuck any right you wanted in there. They don't want to do that. Uh, You could find from the penumbras or the Fourth Amendment or anything else you want, find anything you want there. You could say, well, you know, the word privacy is not in there. Therefore, there's no such thing as privacy. To me, the question is, first, where do you want to go? And then second, if you give me the Constitution, I can get you anywhere from anywhere with that document. Agree with me on that? Or do you think there's one true meaning of the Constitution? Oh, no, I happen to agree with you. I think that the the founders meant for that document to be interpreted um, in the confines of the time period in which the individuals lived, not when they lived, because things were going to change and society was going to change. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll use a comparative here. You want the right to bear arms, do you? Great. You can have a musket. That's history and tradition. If you want to, to do it in the time period that we're in, then that may mean that you get the right to a handgun. But should you have the right to an AR-15 that you know shoots a bullet at four times the speed that annihilates human tissue, um, you know, and 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 is not survivable? Uh, I don't I don't think so. Well, you know, you, that's my you opinion. Can, you could get either place, right? I think I think we entertain a fiction. If we think that the group of founders of our country or a slightly different group, the framers of the Constitution, were all of one mind on any issue, right? Because 
um, for starters, at least a half of them didn't want the Constitution to begin with. They were anti-federalist. They said, no, we don't even want this Constitution. Of those who wanted the Constitution, significant number of them didn't want the Bill of Rights. I think for maybe for good reason, right? Because you could have made an argument. In fact, to put it in the abortion context, you could say, Look, the government has no right to ban abortions, or at least Congress doesn't, because Article 1, Section 8 doesn't confer any power to ban abortions upon Congress. The only things they get to do are the specific things that are delegated to them in Article 1, Section 8. We don't need to say they can't take away the right to free speech because they didn't. we didn't give them the right to take away free speech. And that's sort of one way to look at the Constitution. Another way to look at it is to say, well, here are the rights labeled and enlisted in the Bill of Rights. And of course, that ignores the Ninth Amendment, which I think is a very important part of that to say, hey, there's a whole bunch of other rights, none of which have ever uh, been discovered in the Ninth Amendment. So if we agree, and I think we do, that you pretty much can get anywhere you want with the Constitution, right? Because you could lock the Second Amendment down with muskets, but then you might lock the Fourth Amendment down and say, well, it doesn't, this doesn't apply to a search of a car because there were no cars at that point either. And I don't want to go there either. I I find the discussion much more interesting with a different starting point. What should we do? If the goal is, and I think, I can tell you what my goal is. I want you to be able to live your life however you think is best. I want you in charge of that body and any property that you peacefully acquire and any money that you peacefully acquire, indeed that's your property, and your time, your life, I want you to be in charge of you. I don't want to have any jurisdiction over your life, and I don't want you to have any jurisdiction over my life. I mean, we can interact voluntarily. I think we should interact, and anything we do involuntarily, I think, should be prohibited. Are you with me there? Are we are we in agreement or disagreement there? I think that assumes that everybody is on the same playing field. Everybody is rational. Everybody is healthy. Everybody is uh, capable of making good decisions. Um, and and the problem is is that everybody isn't. So you know you can have folks that that go off and buy the gun that you know under under that rubric they have a right to do whatever they want. Right? They have a right to own it. Except that then. You know, are they healthy enough to do that? And should they have the right to do it if they're not healthy enough to do it? Yeah, I certainly Uh, agree with you on what you said there. Everybody, they should be on, on one sense, we want them on an equal footing, right? We want them on an equal footing under the law. Everybody gets treated the same way. Everybody has the same legal rights. But of course, we're all unequal in all kinds of countless different ways. And so... I think if we really are being honest about this definition of aggression, in fact, I think I could probably get you to agree sort of at the 30,000 foot view, nobody should get to aggress against another person. Are are we good there? Yeah. Okay. I I agree with that. Yeah. We we got to wrench down a little bit what we mean by aggression. And so in terms of people, let's say unstable people buying dangerous weapons and things like that. Well, there's a reason we don't want the eight-year-old to have a firearm. The reason we don't is because that eight-year-old presents a substantial risk to other people with that gun. Same with people who have mental illnesses and problems like that. So if somebody has a firearm or is driving a car in a way that presents risks to other people or is storing dangerous substance, that's why I like to give a broad category. If you do anything 
that creates a what we call a substantial risk to another person. Not any risk, right? Because, I mean, everybody presents some modicum of a risk to another person just by walking down the street near somebody. But if you're presenting a substantial risk for any reason, we consider that aggression. And we, we feel completely justified in stopping another person from doing whatever they're doing if they're actually presenting a substantial risk. Now, of course, we have to still talk about what do you mean by a substantial risk? But does this make sense to you or, or is there something sure, to it disagree? Sure, does, it does make sense. I, you know, I mean, when I think about sort of a practical thing that you could nail it down to, okay, you're in uh, Florida. Uh, you're in a movie theater. Yeah. There's uh, There was a case that I covered for Law and Crime Trial Network um, involving a gentleman by the name of Curtis Reeves. And um, he uh, shot another man after the man wouldn't uh, turn his cell phone off, he was texting. Um, and the two of them got into um, a verbal uh, uh, altercation and some popcorn was thrown. Uh, Mr. Reeves shot um, the other man, killed him, injured uh, the man's wife, um, uh, injured her ring finger, in fact. Um, and the jury found that he was justified uh, in in pulling his concealed pistol out as a former SWAT member and shooting the man point blank range in the chest. Now, well, that sounds pretty crazy to me. Uh, it, it makes me wonder either a maybe the people on the jury were crazy, who which is distinct possibility for sure, or b maybe there's some other facts out there that uh, I'm not aware of, or maybe you're not aware of. I don't know, but threatening or using deadly physical force in response to even ordinary physical force is always wrong, is always an excessive use of force. So what happened in the particularities of that, of that case, I don't know. I do like what you said very much, that everybody doesn't get their own truth, right? There's one set of facts here. There is something that happened in that theater. Our ability to get to those exact facts and whether we agree on those facts, those are different questions. And, and in fact, I find this as one of the biggest problems in the world. If you had said, Mark, uh, what, are you, what are you really worried about? I can tell you, I'm really worried about our inability to agree on facts, right? Because if you watch Fox, uh, well, imagine, take it during the pandemic. If you watched Fox during the pandemic, you probably concluded that Corona is not very dangerous at all. Uh, the vaccines are very dangerous and uh, masks don't work. Social distancing doesn't work. And this whole thing is just a big farce or maybe big, big power grab for people who want to control other people. If you watched CNN, you probably have the opposite opinion. And until we can agree on facts, how do we resolve problems? I mean, what is your thought on do you see this as a big problem? And if so, what are your thoughts on how do we come together, at least on a common set of factual understandings? Yeah, no, that that is the problem. And, and you know, we used to have it be the case that uh, there were a common set of facts. And then, you know, it, it was how those facts were framed. Um, now we don't have that. And 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 it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter that you can present with very specific examples that um undo the the what i would call illogic of some of this stuff um you know i'll give you a good example so folks that say masks are harmful um so when your surgeon is operating on you in the operating room and wearing a mask 
So you, you're okay with that person taking it off for the duration of your surgery so that you could potentially contract an infection and, and they shoo that away as being, as being, you know, nonsense, um, because it doesn't comport with their frame. And so, um, you know, when I heard you talking about, and, and I sort of want to circle back when I heard you talking about sort of live and let live and, and you live your life how you want. Yeah, except that you're the way you're living your life may in fact impact me. And so the fact that you're not wearing a mask, get away from me. Okay, the fact that you're not vaccinated, get out of my presence. I don't want you near me because those are not responsible things to do. I want you vaccinated. I want you wearing a mask. I want you to keep in six feet from me. And and if you can't do that, then you're not respecting me. You're aggressing against me. Right. And I think that that can be taken and twisted in every scenario that you could come up with. You know, I don't know, based on what you said, whether I agree with you or not, because there were some important questions that I would ask. Like, for example, when you know, when you were saying you're not wearing a mask, get away from me, you're not vaccinated, get away from me. What I would want to know is where are we standing? Because to me, that makes all the difference. Right. For example, if we're standing in your house, you have every right to say such things, right? I mean, you are the iron-fisted dictator of your house, and you get to decide who enters and under what circumstances. And if you say, you know what, Mark, if you're not vaccinated, if you don't wear a mask, if you uh, don't wear a purple shirt with pink polka dots, you can't come to the house. And I think that's perfectly appropriate. But um, I may say something completely different. I'm I'm certainly just using this as an example. But I might say if you come to my house, you you have to be unvaccinated and you can't wear a mask. Do you have any problem with, at least as to our personal properties, making that distinction and resolving the issue that you just raised? Yeah, I do. I do have a problem with that. And that's because at some point you're going to leave your house and you're going to interact with people in the outside world. And you're you're going to potentially put them at risk. And so you're right. You have have the ability to do that as long as you don't leave your house ever. But let's let's go slow in terms of the house analysis. There's no problem there. We can totally resolve that. Right. As long as you don't invite me over. Well, I can invite you and you have every right to say, sorry, Mark, I'm not coming. I, if you're not, you got people at your place not vaccinated, no mask. Thanks for the invitation, Mark, but I decline. That's no problem there either, right? Mm, again, I, I question, um, I question whether, whether that's placing other people at risk. They, they may be choosing to place themselves at risk, but, but is that, is that, is that smart? Well, you know, well, and th- let's I, and talk I about that. that. Let's talk about that. Free people get to take risks if they want, if they're only taking risks with their bodies. Right. I mean, but I, it's not it's not reasonable. What you're talking about is not reasonable in that circumstance. It's unless you're going to put yourself on an island and a group of you are going to go off and live on that island and you're all happy to take that risk and you're never going to leave that island and you're never going to interact with other people outside of that island. That may be true. But that isn't the situation that we all find ourselves in. For example, um, you know, I work from home. I work from home because I can't work in my work environment because in that work environment, I have no control over what's happening there. I have no control over you, whether you get vaccinated. I have no control over you, whether you're wearing a mask. And um, and so I can't protect myself, right? Um, and and it matters. It doesn't matter where we are. We can stand outside, in my view. We can stand outside. We can stand inside stand halfway outside and inside. It doesn't matter. 
um, if 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 I have a health condition that places me at greater risk, I have to constantly be at high vigilance as to whether people are placing me at risk. Right. And so the burden gets placed on me as to whether I feel safe or not. Right. So as long as you're living in sort of a a sort of a fantasy world of and I'm not saying this pejoratively in a fantasy world where every single person who feels that way is going to go live on that little island and never leave. You guys are good. But if you are going to interact with the rest of us, I don't think it's it is reasonable to think that that that's okay because at some point you're going to leave that house. At some point you're going to interact with the Amazon driver who comes to to the front door. At some point you're going to walk outside to walk your dog, and you're going to come across me who's also walking my dog, and and that's concerning to me. And so you know this idea that you sort of I want to jump to, which is sort of you know voluntary kindness towards others, right? Voluntary kindness towards others could, in fact, be that you need to get yourself vaccinated so that that, you know, you're respecting other people and respecting the 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 potential risk that you might be placing them in. Yeah, I noticed you said that, well, that risk isn't reasonable. You made a judgment about the risk. And if Andy was here, we have a dispute on this point. I see. I don't think jumping out of a plane with a parachute is a reasonable risk to take. And so I don't jump out of planes with parachutes. Andy, on the other hand, loves to do that. He thinks I'm crazy, thinks it's really safe. My judgment is that what Andy does is unreasonable. Andy's judgment is it's perfectly reasonable. So long as Andy's making the judgment for his body and only his body, then I don't have any problem here. We can have disagreement and still get along fine. I think I could probably get you, and I think maybe we're in agreement on the house situation, right? Like you, in your house, you can make a decision about under what conditions people can enter your house. And there's probably a lot more, I can tell you at my house, there's a lot more rules than uh, just the COVID stuff. In fact, um, we censor speech at our house, right? If you come in and you're swearing and saying all kinds of horrible things, we're going to say, look, sorry, um, we don't have free speech at our house. You have to act a certain way. You have to be civilized and this, that, and the next thing. So we have all kinds of rules if you want to come to our house. And if people don't like them, then their remedy is to not come to the house. And I think that um, the corona situation is just one of many things that are rules. I understand your concern as well as to public property, right? But as to private property, it sure seems that we could handle this pretty easily. I can tell you at our law firm, at the Attorneys for Freedom, and I employ about 20 people here at our law firm, and I'm the sole owner of the firm. And so I made the rules under which people could enter And um, some of the employees, they can decide if they like those rules or not. And I could have said everybody has to be vaccinated like lots of businesses did. And I wouldn't have had any problem making such a rule if I wanted to. I could have said everybody's got to wear masks. I could have said you can wear a mask if you like. You don't have to. I could say nobody can wear a mask. There's no problem with any of that, right? Or is there, in your view, a problem with that? Because people are free to not accept or um, engage with that risk, right? They don't have to, just because I'm creating a risky situation in someone else's judgment, other people might say, Mark, I'm not willing to take that risk. I'm not going to come to your law firm. I'll go to a different law firm with rules that I like. Can we resolve this? As to private property, I'm only talking about private property here. Couldn't we have resolved it with private property decisions or no? Um, 
It depends on, again, what are what are the facts? If you're saying to me that getting vaccinated is a risk, and so you you choose not to, to compel that, then no, I would disagree. I think that because then you're forcing folks to make those decisions that, that they don't want to work there because it's not safe for them. Yeah, And I so mean, it's not inclusive for people who have disabilities, for example. That's right. So let, let me just... Which you're not allowed to do. Well, you're not allowed to not make an inclusive environment, right. depending on how many employees you have. Under the current state of the law. But there are lots of things in the law that both of us want to change, I would think, right? Inclusivity would not be one of them. Well, so let's talk about this. I'm going to guess you and I probably have a similar outlook as to First Amendment issues. I mean, I, I can tell you my thoughts on First Amendment issues, which is I'm the first person to defend your right to say whatever you want. In fact, um, you and I know, but I'll just say it for maybe other people who aren't aware of this, that the First Amendment only restricts the government from censoring speech. It certainly doesn't restrict private people. So uh, if if you're in a private home or if you imagine for a moment that Twitter and Facebook are private companies, and I think they are, uh, then they get to make any rules they want to make in terms of who gets to use their platform and who doesn't. Just like if you come to my house, I can say you can't say anything bad about Biden or you can't say anything bad about Trump or you must say bad things about both of them or whatever rules I want. But we're only talking about whether the government gets to censor here. But I would defend your right to say any horrible, offensive thing that you wanted to say. Do you feel the same way in terms of government censorship that I feel? It depends on on where you're located. In the state of California, for example, we have laws that uh, confer um, the right, uh, the First Amendment right to, um, uh, to let's say, private universities that wouldn't exist, um, that wouldn't exist under under you know the the because the the government uh, the, the the restrictions on government do not apply to private companies. Um, but it, we have a law out here that 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 compels that on on private universities. However, there are other laws that come into play. So let's say Title IX. Uh, Title IX, you know, doesn't allow an individual to discriminate against another person based on on sex. And so um, you would not be able to say things that were um, uh, sexually harassing, for example. So this is where the the complication becomes, is that um, people want bright line rules. They really do. Um, and bright line rules don't work when you have a complex system that that we have, and we have it for good reason. Um, yeah, I tend to agree with you on bright line rules. We have a lot of gray. We lawyers see a lot of gray, but I, I don't really. I mean, I recognize there's a Title IX discussion there, but th- that's not the discussion I'm wanting to have. My my discussion is not about what the law is, right? Because there are lots of things about the way the law. It, like for example, here's something maybe we would agree on: the law prohibits, let's just say, uh, marijuana use in many states by competent adults. That's the way the law is, and lots of people are still rotting away in prison because that's the way the law was. We could have a discussion about that and talk about, you know, how, how much you can have in terms of whether it's a felony and how, what the mandatory minimums are. I don't want to have that discussion. The discussion I want to have is this shouldn't be the law. And the reason it shouldn't be the law is because people get to put things. And when I say people, I mean competent adults. I'm not talking about children. I'm not talking about people who are not competent. But competent adults get to decide for themselves 
what substances they put in their bodies. Is that reasonable or to you or no? That's reasonable. But again, you're, you're talking about nuances. Uh, you know, in my mind, I'm going, OK, well, now you're in your car. That's your property. Now you're driving on a public way and now you cause an accident. Yeah, this is a great point. I'm glad you brought it up because I think a lot of people don't make this distinction. There's there's a significant distinction between putting a substance in your body as a competent adult in your backyard where you're not putting anybody else at risk and then putting the same substance in your body, getting yourself in your car, driving down the road and now creating, to put it in the terms that I would think that are relevant, creating a substantial risk to another person. Like, I don't care what you're doing. If you're creating a substantial risk to another person, I don't care if it's because you're smoking weed or because you're tired or because your sincerely held religious beliefs call you to act a certain way. Nobody gets to aggress against another person. So if we took that off the table, right, if we said, look, you don't get to do anything under any circumstances that aggress against another person. And by aggress, I mean what I laid out. No force, no fraud, no coercion, nothing that puts another person at a substantial risk of harm or in danger, which your example points out exactly. Then short of that, shouldn't you get to put in your body whatever you want? You want to talk about the way the law should be. I want to talk about the way the law is and why. The reason why you don't do that is because people don't have necessarily have good judgment. Now, when it comes to the marijuana issue, that's different from, let's say, cocaine. Um, you can do you do you think that you can put as much cocaine in your body that you want? Um, and it, if if it kills you, it kills you. You know, I feel um, I like that slogan that so many women are using today. It's my body, your hands off of my body. I'm in charge of my body. Now, they're talking about this in an an abortion context, and I understand that argument very, very well, and that's one I I think you, you buy into, right? My body, my choice. I think my body, my choice applies to everything that I put in my body. Not my body, your choice. Not my body, you get to decide what's too risky. You get to decide whether or not... Um, I sell my body for money. I exchange sex for money. Or, um, well, do you feel differently on the prostitution issue than you do about having a person's body be their property? Or or is it different for prostitution? Um, I, I You know, I haven't thought about the prostitution piece. I have thought about the the uh, pharmaceutical piece. And I sort of want to, we're jumping, we're jumping yeah, around yeah, all yeah, over the place. With that, you know, uh, pharmaceuticals. Um, there's a reason why we have regulations and rules about how you can acquire pharmaceuticals, your body, your choice. Sure. Um, but, and I don't like it when people co-opt that, by the way, I think that's disingenuous to where it started. Um, but I think that, that, and, and that's, that's where some folks have seized on it for the masks, um, and, and whatnot, um, and then throw it back in our faces. Um, but I, I do think that, um, that the reason why you can't uh, take all of the, let's say, Seroquel that you want, okay? You're prescribed Seroquel and you have to have a prescription to do that and you have to meet certain requirements in order to get that prescription. And the reason why we do that is to make sure you don't do something stupid because you're not intelligent enough, you're not trained enough, you're not educated enough, you're not experienced enough to know when to use that and how to use it. And, and you know, people think more means better. 
I think so, there's a fair point in there for sure because you have to be competent, right, to make a choice. And if you don't know maybe what the drug is or something like that, this is the reason, again, we don't allow eight-year-olds to make decisions about what they put in their body because they're not competent. There certainly are um, even decisions adults might make that aren't fully informed decisions. But But if they're making a fully informed decision – then I kind of like the phrase, my body, my choice. I do think it applies to all contexts. How would it apply in one context and not another? Isn't it a fair criticism to say um, whether I wear a mask or not? Now, keep in mind, everybody's missing the point about the private property here, right? I think you don't get to make a decision on somebody else's private property. They get to decide, right? You can say, if you want to come to my house, you got to wear a mask, But other than that, and I think, by the way, I think if we really thought the private property question through very carefully, I think that solves quite a bit of this issue. But isn't it nicely consistent to say my body, my choice as to the drug issue, as to the prostitution issue, as to the euthanasia issue, as to the masks and vaccines, and you want to apply it also to the abortion issue? Don't they all make sense as the same the same issue? It's your body. It's your choice. Well, no, help me understand I, the difference. I, no, because I, I think that, that that you'd have to tease out each one of those. Again, um, you know, euthanasia, you want to kill yourself? Yeah. Um, there's a reason probably um, for why you want to do that. And you may not be competent, right? You may not. Um, you Absolutely, may, yeah. You may not appreciate the long the long term circumstances when, you know, uh, it is a short term solution and a and one that can't be reversed Um, when it comes to whether or not a collection of cells in my uterus, uh, you know, whether I choose to to not go through with that pregnancy, that's I see that is different. Um, I, I it's that is, in fact, my body. That is, in fact, my choice. And and it is. Um, it is not a sentient being at that point. Um, and so there's a reason for why I can do that. Um, when it, when it comes to, uh, you know, the mask. Okay. So fine at your house, your eight-year-old can choose not to wear a mask and, and whatnot. And then what happens is your eight-year-old then gets on the school bus and goes off to school and is surrounded by, let's say my eight-year-old. And um, the fact that that you're wearing a mask only helps reduce the risk. It doesn't eliminate the risk. And so if everybody's cavorting at your house without masks on because they're having the great big party with all the folks that don't wear masks and aren't vaccinated, and then they go to the public school where the kids are that don't have uh, the access to the vaccination up until a certain point recently, um, and they're wearing masks, there's a greater substantial risk to the eight-year-olds that are there um, and cavorting with your eight-year-old. I love the point that you made on the um, euthanasia question, which is a serious question about competency, right? Because I think a lot of people in that position um, may be very depressed, um, may have other you know things going on that they may not be competent. And, and if they're not competent, then they don't get to make those kinds of decisions. But surely there are competent people who make those kinds of decisions. And in those cases, it seems like it's a very easy question. I'm wondering if it's an easy question for you, assuming we get past the competency question, right? I mean, imagine we have a competent adult 
who is in a situation that that person has decided, I want to take my life rather than, you know, for a variety of what would otherwise be considered probably rational reasons, right? There's a lot of pain coming. There's a horrible terminal death coming. There's a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to waste my fortune on extraordinary medical care when I wanted to go to my kids or something like that. Would you recognize those as competent decisions that a an adult gets to make over their body that they own or no? I think what it comes down to is norms, okay, is that there are certain societal norms that 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 are established. And I think that most people would find that that it is a, a competent adult doesn't want to kill themselves. And so when you breach that, okay, I, I, you know, yes, pain is part of life. Pain is part of living. Um, yes, you may in fact get a, be 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 terminally sick, but you also you know will have a, a period of time with your loved ones, and and people learn and experience things from that. If we're going to to do the Stepford Wives, where everybody you know you know jumps into the to the fountain and kills themselves at a certain you know year, you know because they don't they don't want to experience the aging. Okay, that doesn't seem rational to me. And, well, so what and if so, it doesn't seem rational to you? I mean, you get to decide how your body is used, and I think that should be absolute, right? It's your body. Because that could be my husband that's deciding to jump into the fountain, and I care. Right, but if your husband is competent, doesn't he make decisions over his body? I mean, I guess what I'm getting to is, how do you get to make a decision over another competent adult's body? Is Or, or maybe you're not arguing norms. that. There well, are norms. Well, slavery in our was a slavery was a norm for many, many years. So was and it was wrong. So was subjugating women for many, many years. So just because and, something is a norm certainly isn't a very good argument in order for uh, to say we should perpetuate the situation. Aren't we trying to get to what's right, not just to what's norm? Well, and I guess what I'm saying to you is that uh, you know what what's at the heart of what you're saying is right. Okay, is is that you'll never have a norm at that point because it'll just be what is individually right for you. And that that in some circumstances makes sense. In other circumstances, it doesn't. So let's go back to the example. Do I care about whether my husband throws himself into the fountain and should he be able to? No, he shouldn't be able to. And, and that's because I care about him and I think he's being ridiculous. And I don't care whether whether, you know, he is, quote, competent under what terms, who decides, who decides whether he's competent, what standard are you using? How is that to be adjudicated? And so all of the various things that you're you're using, you're 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 using terminology and you're trying to put a finite. You're saying that there's some sort of in my in my perception here, there's some sort of crystal clear unfuzzy sort of definition to it. Yet every single word that we use is in is laden with implicit bias. Every single one, every single decision that we make is based on implicit bias. And and every every experience that we have, whether awake or or asleep, because our brains and our ears are operating 24-7, gathering data and putting them into boxes and trying to determine um, as quickly as it possibly can what to do with that information. Do I do I wake her up because it's dangerous? Do I let her sleep? as an example. And so when you hear the bump that goes bump in the night. Um, last night, my husband screamed in the middle of the night. Okay, he got woken up by a dream. 
woke me up, okay? Because my body went, you, there was somebody who screamed in the middle of the night. And so my brain went, boop, this could be dangerous. We should wake her up in case she needs to do something. Your brain is constantly operating at that level, all right? And so everything that we do is informed by implicit bias. And so when you use terms like right, justice, substantial risk, I mean, we can go through every single term that you're talking about. It's informed by a certain level of implicit bias that you may not be aware of. What's right? I decide that that somebody is competent. What does that mean? What does competent mean? Who decides? And how does that get adjudicated? And what is that informed by? And so, you know, I think that that you are you are a collection of your life experiences and the way that you come to be making these decisions is based on that. And you're not necessarily aware of what is informing your decision making. Yeah, of course, that's true. I mean, all, all of us can only know the world subjectively, right? I mean, we know there's an objective world out there. There, As we talked about previously, there are facts out there. But we can only know about those facts subjectively. We're all, everything we are is just a product of our uh, senses, what we've taken in. So we're all biased to some degree for sure. I mean, I, none of us are objective completely. No judge is completely objective. But that there are difficult questions, and you pointed out one of them in terms of figuring out what do we mean by competency? These are hard questions for uh, where you are in California. There's a different definition than where I am in Arizona right now. And many different states have different definitions of competency. And not only that. You said, how do we adjudicate it? Yes, the process for figuring out once we get the standard, that's one thing. Then we got to have a hearing. Who has the burden of proof? Who gets to present evidence? How many experts do you get? There are lots of questions. What evidence is admissible? It differs from state to state to some regard. So all this is true. And it's okay that we have different definitions. But once we get that conclusion, right, once we have run through that mill and now we've decided this person is indeed competent, doesn't that person get to make the decision? And the only options here are either that person doesn't get to make the decision over, say, their body, for example, or they do. And if they do, then fine. They get to decide we can resolve the question. If they don't, then we have the secondary question, which is, who gets to decide? Do you get to decide? Do I get to decide? Does the majority get to decide? And I would submit to you that this is the major source of our struggle. Because when you say that's not a reasonable judgment, that's not a reasonable risk to take on, you're using your implicit bias, using your life experiences and the things you understand and saying for you this isn't like, for example, Andy, who jumps out of planes. I'm saying to Andy, you know what, Andy, my judgment is based on my life experiences, my bias. That's not a reasonable risk to jump out of a plane. But I don't get I recognize that I don't get to make that decision for Andy, just like I don't get to make the decision for the terminally ill patient who wants to end it all. I don't get to make the decision for the woman or the man who wants to exchange money for sex. I don't get to make the decision about the competent adult who wants to put something in their body. The only point at which I get to say something is when they're affecting me, when they're aggressing against me or when they're putting me in danger. Do you have a better place to draw the line? Because it seems to me the only other place we draw the line is either you decide for other people or I decide for other people. And now we're do now we're going like this, right? That's what we have now. 
Well, but that's that's inherent in the human condition. And and I, I hear you say that you don't want to do this, right? right. So um, but conflict is a natural part of human condition. It's not something you're ever going to get rid of, nor should you, because that's how how decisions are made. Uh, that's how, um, you know, how you come to conclusions. That's how you come to new knowledge as an example. OK, when I was back in my graduate school days, the first time around, I studied uh, English and critical theory. And they had a terminology there for when new knowledge got created and it was called intercourse. It was two ideas slamming together. And that was how a new idea was born. So um, if you don't have those conflicts, then you don't have new information, new concepts, new ideas that come to fruition. But I want to be careful about expanding the definition of the word conflict here, because I'm talking about physical conflicts, right? Because what, what I hear you saying is you are going to decide what competent adults get to put in their body. And it's not just a matter of you having a difference of opinion. You want to use the force of the state to send somebody with a badge to lay hands on somebody at some I point. I didn't say any of that. I didn't say any of that. Okay, I, so I, it's I just a personal opinion then. So, for example, so let's talk, let's go back to euthanasia for a moment. If the terminally ill, let's just say, uh, well, let's use my friend, Eric, for example. I'll give you some facts. Um, I had a, a wonderfully close friend. His name was Eric, and Eric was diagnosed with ALS, horrible terminal disease. And he tried everything. He spent a whole bunch of money and, and tried different procedures and things that were not even recommended. But at some point, he said, you know what? I don't want to be that guy with the tubes up my nose and down my throat and this, that, and the next thing. He would have preferred to simply engage a doctor or somebody to give him some kind of a shot and go out with some dignity and be done. Would you interfere or would you want, would you support the law, which means to send somebody with a badge at some point to interfere with Eric's agreement with some medical professional or some other person to terminate his life if that's what he, assuming he was competent, and I can assure you very competent at the time of his death when unfortunately he took a gun and blew his brains out because he couldn't hire a doctor. Are you simply saying, no, it's just your opinion that he shouldn't do that? Or are you saying you want to enshrine your opinion and enforce it by putting it into the law? Well, I, I don't I'm not asking to enshrine my opinion or enforce it by putting it into the law. What I what I what, what let me finish. OK, let me be let me let me explain. OK, I'm I'm take the girl out of the law. She's still a lawyer. And and I will say that that lawyers are reformists, not revolutionaries. And so if you want to change the law, there's a way to do that. Um, what is the law in the jurisdiction and where you are? And you follow that law. Um, you know, I I represented people where there was a guardianship issue. Uh, I represented a lot of folks who were uh, potential wards. Um, I I preferred doing that over representing the people who were petitioning because I always liked being in a foxhole digging myself out. Um, but I I you know I defended against those, and I, you know I remember sitting there and 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 uh, having conversations with our with the judge that I would be in front of on a regular basis where um, I would say they're making you know a decision to stop treatment and and the judge would say well is it a knowing decision and and going through a process to trying to understand that and you know needing to put eyes on the individual to see if their behavior comported with 
with somebody who might be making a knowing decision. Um, and I think that 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 is the land that that I live in. That is the land that I am. I I think makes sense. I think if people are just going about doing whatever they want, um, you know, and and there's nobody who can pass judgment. There's nobody who can who can who can uh, make that determination. Um, then I don't want to say it devolves into chaos. It devolves into you basically just doing whatever you want. And, and, you know, you could be hurting yourself and hurting your family and hurting those around you, um, you know, which is not putting people in a substantial risk, okay? It's not the same sort of thing that we're thinking about when you get into a car. Um, you're affecting them emotionally. Um, you know, I think, you know, the idea that you would dissolve the entire criminal system um, and dissolve all of that stuff, to me, just, just that puts us back into the, to, 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 you know, a, a system of chaos where, and I understand how this all comes to play and comes to, to you know, conflict where, okay, fine, you know, we're back into the situation. We'll, we'll meet at noon in the square and do a shootout, except that that would violate some of those rules. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that we have a system of laws. They exist for a reason uh, to, to sort of put order to the chaos. And, um, you know, the, I want to sort of fast forward to, to or, or maybe put in reverse where we were with the with pharmaceuticals. OK, there's a reason you you there's nothing that you can do except go to medical school, do a residency, practice medicine to understand really what those medications do. As a lawyer, you can you can read stuff, you can read the treatises, you can do all sorts of things. But what you you can't do is you can't go do that 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 uh, internship and that residency where you're sitting there and you're going through the process of anatomy and physiology and dissecting the, the dead body that was a gift to the university and uh, then going through all the various rotations and understanding how all of this works. As lawyers, we can never do that unless we do it. And so doctors inherently have more knowledge than we do about about things. And so the average person who sits there and has the pharmaceutical drug and thinks that they know better about what they should take or how much they should take under this system doesn't work. Because they they it's never it's take competent out of it. They're competent, okay? They 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 know that there aren't funny unicorns coming out of the wall. Are they intelligent enough? Are they educated enough? And they're not. Because they they don't. They think more means better. I mean, you know, the average American thinks more means better and more doesn't mean better in many of these circumstances. They cause greater harm, as we've seen during the COVID crisis, um, you know, with people doing kooky things. There are really fascinating concepts that, that, that this movement has. But when you, if you do it and abandon all else, I think that it doesn't work. Yeah, I think I it causes more harm. I feel like um, I want to be clear about something. I'm a big fan of the uh, justice system. I'm certainly not uh, arguing to devolve the justice system or, or laws or anything like that. I think we need to have laws and I think we need to have good enforcement of the laws. Uh, the net effect of what I'm arguing for would be to get rid of the victimless crimes. I think victimless crimes aren't crimes. And the reason they're not crimes is because they don't aggress on anybody. They don't meet the definition of aggression. They might be moral transgressions. I understand that um, people might find immoral a, an agreement for prostitution or, or gambling or uh, maybe even euthanasia. That's fine. 
Um, but for the same reasons, we don't want people putting their religious views in the law. We certainly don't want people putting their moral views in the law either. But to go back to something you said I found interesting, you said lawyers are reformers, not revolutionaries. Well, there have been an awful lot of uh, lawyer revolutionaries out there, the ones who started our country that was packed with lawyers, as you know. But I, I, I don't think you're really comfortable saying, well, whatever the law is, and if you don't change the law, um, you just live with it or something, because I don't think you're very comfortable with where the Supreme Court just left off on the abortion question or even on the Second Amendment question. Maybe you are. Maybe you're willing to no, say, well, that's that, the that, law. So we no, just that, leave it there. So you're <clears throat> mischaracterizing okay. what I'm saying. Yeah. So help me understand. Reformists are people who see that the law changes incrementally, right? Well, so sometimes in incrementally. To, it just We just saw a major change on abortion. And well, actually, we didn't. We saw something that happened incrementally, that when you see Roe, then you see a, a progeny that comes afterwards that started to back away from that right ever so slowly. And what we then saw was the final end to it. Um, and so I, I I respectfully disagree with with that this happened suddenly. It, it, it happened it happened in a way that that people found shocking because they chose to believe the fiction that it would never happen. Well, but and Planned it was Parent, headed in that direction. Yeah, in the Planned Parenthood versus uh, v. Casey case, they still confirmed that indeed you had a fundamental right to an abortion. I think that the case that just came down was sort of a radical departure. Now, I'm not saying it was right or wrong. I'm not taking an opinion on that at this moment. But I think that where the Supreme Court uh, pronounced that, no, the entire concept, it's not about whether it's unduly burdened any longer. There is no federally protected right to an abortion. That seems like a pretty uh, major shift to me, not an incremental shift. Not that I'm sure that it doesn't matter. We've had major shifts in the past in many different areas, um, but I guess the point I was trying to make is I'm not satisfied that just because something's the law, we should just sort of live with it. I think we... that's not what I'm suggesting. OK, then I misunderstood. you. Yeah. So so reformists, again, you, you say revolutionaries. And what what I'm saying to you is that if you practice law, you're not a re you're not a revolutionary. You live within the system you're in and you make the changes as you're able to make them. Um, you you are subject to the judge. You bring the cases that you choose to bring that are going to push the envelope just enough to be able to try to make a change in the law when you work your way up to that appellate system. That is a reformist. Okay. Sure. Revolutionaries step outside that system. Okay. And they do different things. You may be a lawyer, but you're not acting like one. Well, that's right. And I, and so, so where I am is that, look, I'm, I, well, I'm no longer practicing. You know, I am I I still consider myself in many ways, you know, a reformist. I am not going to go and and and, you know, stand outside the Supreme Court justices house and protest and think that's going to change something. Good. I am not going to go occupy a building. OK, and get arrested. It's just not what I'm going to do because I'm I'm law abiding a lawyer. I'll join and, you with that. Right. I'll join uh, you with that. And in fact, I wouldn't I, I would discourage anybody ever from using any kind of violent means to try to get things changed. Right. There are peaceful ways. Our tools should be conversation and rational thought. That's the way we're trying to get things what, changed. Those aren't violent ways of, of doing things. They just aren't in a, they, I just don't find them effective. I don't think standing outside uh, as much as he deserves it. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, um, uh, outside the, um, the justices houses um, is going to change anything. It's certainly going to irritate the heck out of them. 
but but it isn't going to change anything. I don't think I don't consider it violent unless it becomes violent. The same thing goes for for occupying a building. It's not violent unless it becomes violent. Um, you know, I don't think standing toe to toe with a line of officers protesting, you know, uh, um, you know, the death of, of a black man is violent unless it becomes violent. Well, a death of a black man isn't any more of an outrage than the death than the wrongful death of any person. Right. I mean, all people are should be treated equally. I certainly value everybody exactly the same way, regardless of what color their skin is or their gender or what they believe. To me, human beings are human beings. I mean, I, I think we have agreement on that point. Right. Well, you're starting to mix terminology there, and that starts to 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 sound like you know you don't see color. Um, well, and, I, and, I see yeah. color. I just don't care that much about it, right? I, ah, see, I do. I care that much about it because I know that the burden and the pain that 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 uh, black individuals have suffered in this country, and 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 so I do care about it because I know that when they're, for example, are interacting with our systems, they are being disproportionately harmed by those systems. And so I do see it well, and I do care about it. Well, anybody who's being mistreated by the system or by another person, I think, is is a problem, is an outrage. But certainly this problem isn't exclusive to the group of people who have darker skin. Right. I mean, there are many groups throughout history who have been mistreated in various different ways. And I think they're all wrong. I think people should be treated with dignity regardless of what color skin they have. Are, are we in disagreement on that? I mean. Just, I think I think you know you're approaching it like a cross examination, and it's interesting to me. I'm 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 and as a as an expert witness, I'm choosing not to answer your question. I think that that you know the last time I saw a white man with a, a you know get get um, asphyxiated by a, a, a white cop with six cops standing around him, uh, or however many cops are standing around him, and a crowd of people that were trying to force their way in to to stop that from happening. I can't remember the last time I saw that happen to a white guy, but I absolutely well, does, can't remember does, the last time I saw it happen to a black man. Well, it's and certainly... I know. How, well, wait a minute. Let me finish on one second. That I know that when when that our 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 system of justice and our system of law enforcement is based off of slavery and it's based off of of racism. Slavery are, and you racism. Said our, our system of law enforcement is based off of slavery. You mean yes. today, or you mean many? Absolutely, years? it goes back to the Barbados rules. Uh, it goes back to to uh, the rules that were put in place that allowed uh, you to beat a black man because he tried to run away. Whereas uh, pools, uh, uh, you know, community rules, if you will, um, you know, gave rights to, to to white people about how how community policing were going to work. And we had, in essence, two systems operating at that time by the same group of people. So it's very much, it, it, you know, W. Kamau Bell does a really great uh, uh, episode on on this very thing on his show. I love his uh, Shades show. of America. I watched it last night. Actually, it was is he does a great job on a lot of things. But certainly, um, I don't think anybody who's reasonable would deny that our country has a horrible history uh, in this area. Not just not just as to black people, but to many other groups, right? And there's still racism today in on an individual basis. But I don't think you're arguing that. The law allows a different standard of violence or force or something like that based on the color of somebody's skin, or are you? Are, are you're taking and twisting what I just said. No, I'm trying to understand what you said. Yeah, I mean, does the law allow it? Sure. Absolutely, it allows it in certain places. For example, you know, having to post bail 
under certain circumstances would disproportionately impact people who are low income, which would then disproportionately impact people who are generally not white. Well, there are plenty of people who are low income who are not white as well, right? I mean, but are they not... getting arrested at the same rate as black people? Well, um, I can tell you this. I've only been doing criminal defense for 28 years, and I have represented people of all colors. I've done lots of court-appointed cases, and I've represented many indigent people over the years as well. And I have yet to even one time uh, raise in a criminal court that I thought my client was being treated differently by the police or the prosecutor or the judge because of the color of their skin or their nationality or anything like that. And I've been looking for that because I would certainly not shy about raising that. I can just tell you that uh, my experience of almost three decades has been um, with many uh, police officers of different ethnicities and prosecutors Mm -hmm. and defense lawyers and judges. And I haven't seen any institutional racism, although I do recognize that Um, People are incarcerated at um, not exactly um, proportionate to the population. How would you recognize institutional racism? Well, if I thought the system was treating any particular group differently in any way than any other group, I would find that completely inappropriate and likely a violation of the 14th Amendment, and I would be the first person to raise it. I just haven't had one occasion uh, where I've seen that ever. You've been very lucky then. I don't think I've been lucky. I've done a lot of cases. You'd find very few lawyers with a broader experience. I mean, I do um, at least um, in my 28 years, I've done many, many uh, misdemeanor cases throughout Arizona, lots of state felony cases, lots of federal felony cases, lots of cases across the nation in different states. I've done high profile trials, lots of work in different states. And Well, I certainly have lots of criticism for our system, and I think there are things that we could do differently. I don't, I have not seen, and and to be fair, I'm not saying that there aren't individuals at all levels of everywhere in society who actually are racist in all directions, right? People are racist against me for different reasons and you for different reasons. So I don't think racism is exclusive to one Nobody's racist against me. I'm white. Okay, well, I'm white, <laughs> and so I don't experience racism as as a white woman. Oh well, I've experienced racism as a white guy. I'm sure you've experienced. I mean, there are people who no, don't no, like no, you. No, 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 because I I belong to this this heteronormative uh, majority here that is that is white. So when when the normative group has the power, you're not experiencing racism. Well, are you saying that you think nobody would discriminate against you because you are fair skin and blonde hair and a female? You're adding female into it. You're asking me, are you talking to me about my race? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't believe that that I experience racism as a white woman. So you don't think there are non-white people who are racist and discriminatory against white people? No, because you'd have to have power to engage in racism. Well, doesn't everybody have power to discriminate against other people? No. You don't you don't you don't get to choose your friends or who you do business with or who you associate with or I I, I think that that when you use terms of art, you have to be careful with that. And discriminate is is one of those terms. So, no, I don't. I I think that that, you know, how you define things matters. Not only that. 
wouldn't you support the rights of people to discriminate if they want? I mean, don't you decide? No. Don't you decide who gets invited to your house for dinner? And that, you're using a term that I don't agree with. You're well, using the term in a way that I don't agree with. Well, okay, I discrimination to... is is using your 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 known bias. Well, what if somebody wants to? What if they are? Don't they have a right to discriminate? To discriminate is using your known bias, okay, or your implicit bias. Um, which you are not aware of, to um, use your power to harm another individual in some manner. So it, that's what discriminate is. You're using it in a in a in a in a very uh, generic, you know, uh, Merriam-Webster way, and 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 that that's not how I use see or use that term. So it ha- so it all revolves around power. In, in other words, if you don't have power, you can't discriminate. So, Absolutely. So, so hapless, poor, uneducated um, Klansmen who are white and wearing the, uh, the, the crazy Klan uniform, under this definition, because they don't have any power, they're not people who discriminate against other people. They absolutely do have power. What power do they have? Why don't they have power? Well, the, the person I'm positing here in this hypothetical is somebody who, by definition, is just very poor, uh, backwoods. They don't have any influence. They, they're, uh, they're just racists. They don't like people who don't look like them, and uh, they don't want to do business with anybody who doesn't look like them. They don't want to live by anybody who does, uh, doesn't look like them. You would say they, they don't discriminate because they don't have power or they, they That's do not what I power. said at all. That's what you would say. Well, help me what understand. I'm, what yeah. I'm saying <clears throat> is that if you're white, you have power. No matter what. No matter what. Just because you're white. So what do you mean by power? Um, if you walk into a, a store, is somebody going to follow you around thinking you're going to steal if you're white? No. Generally, no. Well, I suppose it depends on who owns the store. But is that is that what you mean by power? The fact that you walk around the store and nobody power and privilege. You carry a certain level of power and privilege uh, that you are are unaware of. But shouldn't Um, shouldn't the store owner have a right if he wants to um, be discriminatory? Shouldn't don't people have a right to have crazy views as long as they're peaceful? No. Why? Why? Because you're when you when you go beyond having a view and then exercise it, then you've gone beyond having a view. But I mean, certainly you decide who gets who you invite, who you associate with. You you have different criteria, right? There are people you like, people you don't like, whatever the criteria is. I don't know, because we just met on, on this podcast. I have certain criteria. Some people have criteria that neither one of us like, right? They, their criteria might be as simple as people with different color skin than me. I don't like them for that reason. Do we get to impose and force our judgments on them? Or, or maybe you're just saying, yes, because you don't like their judgments, you should get to tell them what, what discriminatory bases they can use and which they can't. I, you'd have to give me a specific fact pattern. Okay, um, say a, a a black person who doesn't want to associate with white people. Shouldn't that black person have such a right to say, I don't want to do business with a white person. I don't want to have friends who are white people. I don't uh, want to go out and have dinner with them. I don't want my kids around them. I don't. I want to live separate from them. Shouldn't they have such a right in a free country? You'd have to give me a more specific example that's way too big. 
Uh, well, okay, well, let's make it a store owner then. A store owner, let's say a black person who owns a corner store or a restaurant. And he says, I, I don't want to serve anybody who's not black. I'm only open to black people. Yeah, no, it's discrimination, and I disagree with that. It is discrimination, for sure. But should he have a right to do it? I under, putting Title IX aside for a moment. Well, it's not Title IX, but no, you shouldn't have a right to do it. Why? Because it's wrong. But do people have to comply with your standards of what's right and wrong? It's not my standards. That's generally understood it's wrong. By who? What I'm saying is either... We're going to continue to fight to impose our views on other people who disagree, or we draw the line at aggression. We, you, you assume you assume that everybody is equal and has power and, and can make those decisions. I am no, saying sorry, to you I'm that, not assuming that, that at all. I think everybody's are, different. It, it's different. inherent. In, it's inherent in your question because you know what that restaurant in, or let's say that restaurant or that store, that may be the only one in the neighborhood. Might be. And so that means that anybody who, you know, who who is is uh, I think the scenario we're using is anybody who is is not white couldn't couldn't use that store. That's right. If, if well, that's he, a problem. That's who? a problem. That's wrong. That's the, for, for the people who well, happen to not be white that let, live in that neighborhood. Let me let me just for the sake of the discussion, take the position of the black store owner for a moment and say, I don't think it's wrong. I put money up to buy the store. I open the store or the restaurant and I only want to do business with black people. Who are you to tell me what I can do? I'm not aggressing against you. You have no right to enter my store. I'm in charge of my body and my store and who I spend time with. Why do you get to impose your views on me? And by the way, if you're going to impose your views on me, I got a few views I want to impose on you. That's what I mean by this. Yeah. And, and I, what I'm saying to you is that, first of all, he's probably not going to own that store because historically uh, he wouldn't have the power to do that. No, I'm not saying that any black man couldn't. But but, you know, again, you know, there's a disparate impact in, in disparate uh, uh, dissemination of wealth in this country. But but importantly, um, there are laws and rules that are at play. Um, how many employees do you have at that store? You're going to be subject to certain laws and rules uh, in your jurisdiction. Um, and so that is why you can't do that. And, and nor should you be able to um, because of power and privilege. I got to say, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I know I've kept you far over what I said at the beginning that we were going to do. It's only because we're, we've, from at least my point of view, we've had such an engaging and fun conversation. I would certainly love to continue it and see if we can put a finer tip on where we agree and where we disagree and see if we can get our positions a little bit closer. Because I tend to think that we both would like to get to a similar place, right? Where people are looking at other people and care more about the character, what's going on inside a person and who they are. And then we care about other things that historically have been a big deal, but we're trying to get to a point where maybe they shouldn't be as big a deal and where people are free to pursue their interests and don't infringe on other people. And let's try to persuade the heck out of those people who want to, the cake bakers who don't want to sell the cake to the gay couple and the, the black guy in my hypothetical who doesn't want to serve white people or the white 
white guy who doesn't want to serve black people. I don't want to do business with any of them. But in order for me to get to peace, I got to respect and defend their rights, just like in the First Amendment zone to say horribly stupid, offensive things. I defend their rights to be racist as well, so long as they don't aggress against other people. And I know you don't agree with that, but I would love to have a conversation with you down the road. Um, And so anyways, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Peace Radicals and indulging me in this very uh, swirly conversation all over the place through lots of difficult issues that we covered all too superficially. And I want to give you an opportunity, Dr. Pearson, to uh, plug any podcasts or books or appearances or websites, because I think a lot of people are going to watch this podcast and say, you know what, I want to follow her. She's an interesting person with interesting views. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate the opportunity. It was a a very interesting conversation, um, and I enjoy these debates. Um, I you can find me uh, on Twitter and on Instagram um, at Tracy Explains T R A C Y Explains. Um, you can also find my uh, website TracyExplains.com. Uh, you can see me on Long Crime Trial Network every Tuesday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern. Um, you can also see me there at other times. Um, and if you follow me on my social media, um, you'll see all of the other appearances that I do and, and how to see me on TV and to hear me on radio. One thing we have in common, we see things wrong about the world and we're out there trying to improve it in, in some way for sure. And I certainly commend you for that. All right, everybody, it's Dr. Tracy Pearson. I really appreciate this episode of The Peace Radicals. Again, if you're interested in finding out more about the Live and Let Live global peace movement, you might find some positions you're not really super comfortable with, but it's at least our position that if we're going to really get to peace, we got to put up with those people who have positions we don't really like, so long as they're not aggressors. All right, everybody, my name is Mark Victor. Check out Live and Let Live. This has been the Peace Radicals podcast. Peace.